All right, so as we come to God's Word this morning, we'll be in Acts 3, which Dennis just read. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible or in your bulletin, there's a printout of the verses that Dennis read. Acts 3, we'll be beginning in verse 1, and uh, we'll take a look at the whole chapter. Um, We're going to have some some key moments we're going to look at in particular. So uh, if you've been joining us these last several weeks, you know that we've started a new series in the book of Acts, which we've been going into a couple weeks now. And we've been using this phrase uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, which is on the screen, I think, and hopefully you're starting to get it into your heart and your soul a little bit. And the phrase is this, God is on the move. God is on the move. We don't worship a God who just sits and stays still. But he is on the move. He is active and he's progressing out into the world, which is why we pray for the world every week, because we believe that God doesn't ask us just to sit here for an hour every week. But he he pushes us out into the world as well, both literally into our cities and into our families and our friend groups to tell the good news, but also to pray for even for those we'll never meet around the world. So uh, as I was so that, that phrase, God is on the move, you may remember a couple weeks ago, I read portion from one of the Chronicles of Narnia books where it talks about Aslan is on the move, who is this, this lion in the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And he's the Jesus figure in the story. His name is Aslan the lion. And so I want to read it, that portion of that book again today because there's a part of it that stuck out that ties in just perfectly into our text again today in Acts 3. So let me read this again. Quote, it says, they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he's already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it is like sometimes that you have in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand. But in the dream, it feels as if some, it has some enormous meaning. Either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing that you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. Here's the part that sticks out. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside. At the name of Aslan, every child felt something jump inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. And so I asked you this question a couple weeks ago after I first read that. What are you feeling? What are you feeling today? Not at the name of Aslan, this mysterious lion from this um, fiction book, but what do you feel when you hear the name of Jesus? Because that's at the core of Acts chapter 3, which Dennis read. And so that's what we're going to unpack today. The power of the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth a.k.a. every knee, everywhere, will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. At the name of Jesus, not the person of Jesus, not the 
physical presence of Jesus, not his body, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's a pretty powerful thought that at just the mentioning of a name, all people bow down and will bow down eventually. So what is it about the name of Jesus that's so important? Or what is it about maybe names in general that are so important? I would, I would, I would guess, I would, I would venture to guess that every single one of us in this room today has a name. And it's probably pretty important to your life, uh, to your story, to your upbringing, to where you're going in the future. Names can bring authority. Have you ever, have you ever name dropped like, if you ever really wanted something and you're like, ooh, if I just mention this person's name, I think I could get in the back door. I'll name drop. Oh, I, I, know, I know so-and-so. So even though there's no tables available at my favorite restaurant, I know the owner. And maybe he'll, he'll find me a seat in the back. I'll drop his name. And, oh, yes, you know so-and-so. Please come in. Names can have authority. Names can also bring feelings. So I was trying to think of this this week. I... Think of, so let's go with the restaurant theme again. Uh, some restaurants have names that instantly make you have a certain feeling. So we were driving through Danvers the other day and we saw that they're gonna open up a new branch of a restaurant that we were familiar with called The Friendly Toast. Think about how that makes you feel. It's like, wow, that, that sounds like a pretty fun place to go, The Friendly Toast. You kind of go there and expect to, to feel good, uh, to have your breakfast at The Friendly Toast. Or um, think about, we were in New York City, this is probably years ago, I think they still have it, but there's a shrimp place in Times Square called Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. And that instantly takes you to a place, doesn't it? To Forrest Gump, and to kind of the story of that, and his friend Bubba. Or think of city names, Our, the city we're in now, Salem, means the, the city of peace. It has a very specific name to it. Names can also bring, you know, healthy authority or fear or respect or laughter or joy or dread. Um, but names can also bring a reputation or fame to it. So think about what you, what you feel or what you think of when you hear the name Kennedy or Disney or Yastrzemski. Each of those have different things that they make you think about, things that they make you feel. So what are some of the names that you claim in your life? Maybe it's a family name, a first name, middle name. Maybe you don't even go by your, your given name. Maybe you have a nickname that you're known by. Maybe you're known as a New Englander or a Salemite. Maybe you're known as a Midwesterner that is now living here. Um, or maybe you, you're known by a job title, nurse, pastor, doctor, teacher. Maybe you're known by... First Baptist Church. Maybe that's a name that you claim when you go places. All of us have deep purposes for names, and, and God, even more so, has deeper purposes for his name than we have for any of our names. If you trace, I have like two pages here of examples that I think for the sake of time, I'm just not going to go all the way into it for you, but you could look at the beginning of the scriptures through the, the Torah, through the Psalms, through the prophets, through the historical books up through the New Testament, and it's amazing how, how uh, respected and how much God cares about his name. I mean, it's just mentioned all over the place. And I think the first big place you really think about it is Exodus 3, when Moses comes up to this burning bush, and he, he knows it's the presence of God, 
and God tells him to go to Egypt to let his people go, to demand to Pharaoh to let his people go, then what does Moses ask right after that? Who should I say sent me? And that's when he says, God says, say, I am who I am sent you. What a weird name. But that's the name that God then elevates and makes famous throughout the Old Testament story. Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one who always is and always will be and always, always has been. I am sends you. And it's that name that is respected throughout the Old Testament. So I read Psalm 8 at the very beginning of the service today, which says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Again, not, not majestic is your body or your, your presence or your person, although all those things are in their own ways, but it's the name that is important. And then think about the prayer we prayed together just in the pastoral prayer just a few minutes ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God's name is for his ultimate glory. He desires and is jealous for his name to be glorified above all things. And we see, this is a theme that begins to emerge in the book of Acts starting today, is you see these apostles and these disciples going out, and they're doing things for the sake of the name, for the sake of the one whose reputation goes before them. Jesus, the body, the person, is not with them anymore. He's ascended back up into heaven. So what the apostles carry with them, And what the church today carries with us, what you and I carry with us when we go out from this place, is the name of Jesus. We exist in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. That's why we finish our prayers in Jesus' name, because we find our existence, our purpose, our passion, our witness in his name. So what's the point of it all? That's what we're going to look into in these verses this morning. So in Acts 3 we see this this story of a lame beggar who's sitting outside the temple gate. And it says he's doing what he does every single day. It says day by day, his friends picked him up and took him to this gate called Beautiful, the Beautiful Gate, which is right outside the temple, like pretty close to the the main entrance of the temple. And he sat there every day and he he begged. And he was looking for help. It's a pretty strategic place to beg, wouldn't you think? Uh, He's sitting next to a beautiful bronze gate, and people are going in to worship. So people are in this worshipful, maybe sacrificial, giving kind of mindset, and he's maybe hoping to capitalize off these people's worshipful feeling as they go into the temple. So it's pretty strategic for this lame beggar. And then it says Peter and John started to go up to the, the temple to pray as well. Keep in mind, remember Pentecost Sunday a couple Sundays ago in our time, Acts chapter 2? This is actually still the same day. This is 3 p.m. Pentecost Sunday. So they just had this whole experience of speaking in other languages, which baffles the whole city. And they had this experience last week of coming together as a fellowship. And now it's 3 p.m. And they're going to the temple to pray. And they see this young beggar. And so the question I want to answer, and again in three points... Is, is what does the name of Jesus mean? What does it mean in the name of Jesus? And the first point from this lame beggars, from this story of this guy who can't walk, who's begging, is in the name of Jesus, more than just our needs are met. 
in the name of Jesus more than just our needs are met. This beggar is looking for something very specific. He's looking for money. He's looking for tangible help. He's looking for money, for alms, as it says. And he looks at Peter and John coming in, and he he does what he does to everybody. He asks them very unapologetically. He says, do you have any money to give to me? Can you help me out? And Peter and John, they're very open here. Uh, They say, silver or gold we do not have. We don't have silver or gold. So what the man was asking for and what he needed was money, but what they receive in verse 4 is different than what they asked for. And what they receive, first of all, is an intentional gaze and look from Peter and John. Look at this verse 4. It says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. That's the first thing this man received that I don't think we can take for granted that this this man probably doesn't get that kind of look from most people when he asks them for money. Think about yourself in the city of Salem. We have lame beggars in the city of Salem or in Beverly or Lynn, wherever you live. There's people on the side of the road that ask for money. And it's not a very dignified thing. And they, they probably don't get an intentional look from most people. But Peter and John say... Look at us. And in verse 5, it says, The man fixed his attention on them. It says he was still expecting to receive something. But the first thing that they, that they give to this man is an intentional look, which I think we can learn from with this. He gives this man time. He gives this man his attention. But then it says, Silver or gold I do not have, verse 6, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. They give him a look. They don't give him the silver or gold he's looking for, but they give him the ability to walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's, what, that's all that Peter and John can offer. I don't know what's in their wallet. You know the Capital One commercial, what's in your wallet? I don't know what's in Peter and John's wallet. But it says, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I can give to you. And it's Jesus, and you can walk. But the point of this sermon and each of these three points is not just the surface level stuff. The the important part of each of these points that I'm going to make is the deeper, under the surface stuff that emerges, which is the more. In the name of Jesus, more is given than we usually see. And what's the more here that's given? Look at verse 8. So it says that he, uh, uh, so it says stand up and walk. And it says they took him by the hand in verse 7, raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Verse 8, leaping up, he stood. This guy didn't just stand up. and He's like, wow, my, my ankles feel great. Thank you. I can walk now. He's leaping up in verse 8. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking, and again, leaping and praising God. This man didn't just get money. He was looking for money. He got the ability to walk. But then even more so, this guy is leaping up. Which, physically speaking, is pretty exciting. Like, the ability to leap. But what's the spiritual significance of this? Here's what the spiritual significance is. 
This word for leaping is a very intentional word that Luke is using here to describe something profound that's just happened to this man. He's using a word going back to Isaiah 35, this time of prophecy about the day when the Savior would come, when the Redeemer of Israel would come. And this is what Psalm 35 says. It says, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and then, the, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. The lame will leap for joy. When this man starts leaping for joy and praising God, what that's showing everybody around that's watching is that the power of the Messiah and the Redeemer is at work in this story. That's the more that this man is receiving. Not only has he been healed and redeemed and picked up off his feet, he now is showing visible evidence of the work of the Redeemer in his life. And he's praising God and he's walking around, it says. And he starts to go into the temple with Peter and John. So it's not just the man that is now on the move. It's actually the name of God, the fame of his name that is now on the move as well. God is moving his name outward. And they end up here, it says, at Solomon's portico or Solomon's colonnade, kind of this overhanging area, which Jesus actually taught at in John 10. And they come out to this area. It's an area where a bunch of people normally would gather around. And a big, a big stir starts to happen because, again, this lame man who couldn't walk now is leaping around. It's a pretty amazing thought. So what's the second thing that's happening here in the name of Jesus? This is what happens in this Solomon's portico or in this colonnaded area, this kind of porch. The second thing that happens in the name of Jesus is that something deeper than just wonder occurs. So the people that were watching this, that were looking on and seeing this this lame man healed and now walking around, it says they were filled with wonder. Verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to this man. So verse 11, it says the the lame beggar is now grabbing on to Peter and John, like, I'm not going to let you go. You just healed me. I want to walk around with you forever. He's walking around with them, and they come to this place, uh, Solomon's portico. And, and finally, Peter stands up and addresses what the people are feeling. He's looking around. He says, I know what you, what you see is wonderful. I know you're amazed and astonished at what you've seen. The people are wondering over the miracle that just happened. They're filled with wonder and amazement. They're astounded at this whole situation that it's one thing for Jesus to heal people, but now Peter and John just healed this man. That's a, that's a shocking thing. And they're, you can almost get the anticipation that they're, they're about to like go pick up Peter and John on their shoulders and like march them around town like now they're the hero of the story. And Peter and John kind of start to get this, this feeling that they're about to think we're the God that made this happen. And so they cut to the chase here. They correct it immediately. Verse 12, they stand up and they say, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So later on in Acts, uh, there's a story about King Herod, who it says he was speaking these really powerful words. And people said, wow, he speaks like the voice of God. And do you remember what Herod, Herod's reaction was? That's right. I do speak like I have the power of God. Look at me. And do you know what happens right after that? 
it says God struck him down and he was eaten with worms because he did not give glory to God. He took the glory on himself. It's a gruesome picture. And so many chapters before this, in Acts 3, Peter and John are in the same scenario. An amazing thing has just happened. What are they going to do? They stand up and correct it. And so the people are filled with wonder, but Peter and John are about to give them something more. They give them a picture of who the one who did the miracle really is. They give them a picture of who Jesus is. It says here, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, which is what God said to Moses at the burning bush. And then he says, the person who's made this healing is the servant Jesus. It's the holy and righteous one. And it's the author of life, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the one who has made this person well. But then even more so than just saying, it's not us, it's Jesus. They're not just merely deflecting to Jesus. They say this, verse 16, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong who you see and know. And that faith is through Jesus who has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, we can easily get, I think, mistaken in this passage or in the scriptures when we see about the name of Jesus just to kind of turn into a, uh, like a magic trick. Well, in the name of Jesus, I want to be profitable in my business. Or in the name of Jesus, I want the coronavirus to go away. Or in the name of Jesus, and like it becomes this name it and claim it idea. Like almost this like abracadabra, Jesus, you do it. But what they're quickly pointing out here is it's the name of Jesus which brings fame, but more so it's the faith in his name that has made this man well. And it's the same for you and I. It's the same for our watching world. It's, it's not just acknowledging the name and saying, wow, yeah, Jesus, you're a really holy person and I really respect you and uh, you're beautiful and wonderful. It's, I'm going to bank my life in faith on this person and live relentlessly for him. And, and put, all, put all my life into his lap and say, my life is yours. Because you can, you can change a lame man into a, a leaping man. That's, that's the all-in part. That's the deeper part. That's the more that Jesus uh, is communicating here through Peter and John. And then the last point, and this is my favorite one. So just get ready for this. I'm just excited to, to share this with you this morning. The last part here is these last nine verses, you know, beginning verse 17, going to the end of the chapter. In the name of Jesus, we receive more than eternity. In the name of Jesus, we receive more than eternity. Remember last week I made these points of how the church is uncommon, yet it's common. And how the church is miraculous, but it's not extraordinary. And I had to say, like, let me explain this because it kind of feels like they're at odds. This maybe feels the same way. How can you have more than eternity? Isn't eternity the most you can get? Yes. What Peter and John say here in this passage, uh, look at verse 21. It says, uh, heaven must receive until uh, the time for restoring all the things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He's saying that eventually God will come and restore all things. And for those that have faith in Jesus' name, eternity is yours. 
Everything will be restored. Your life will be full. You will be in eternity with God forever. How could you possibly have more than that? And here's the exciting answer I can give. The more that we get in Jesus' name is this. Verse 20. Let's go back to verse 19, actually. It says, Because of this, repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. The more I think that's offered here is times of refreshing today. As Christians, as a church, we are marching towards an eternity with Jesus forever in heaven that we are so excited about. But that is not the ultimate goal or motivation for us. Part of the blessing and the abundance that Jesus gives his people and that he gives the world is that he says, listen, if you repent and you have faith today, you don't have to wait until you die to go to eternity and be with heaven in some restored paradise, which will be wonderful. You actually can have times of refreshing today in the presence of the Lord today. Right now, you can have a dose of heaven today. When you repent and believe in Jesus, and when you live your life in the name of Jesus, And when the church's mission is in the name of Jesus, for the sake of the name of Jesus, we come to places like this and our souls are refreshed and given a wellspring in the desert that you can't find anywhere else. And may we never forget that. Please don't live your life just looking forward to when you're in eternity in heaven with God. Also live in the daily hope that you can find refreshment and hope and purpose in the presence of God today. That's the power of his name. His name brings with it fame and authority and purpose and times of refreshment today in his presence. And that's a wonderful thing. No matter how bleak your life gets, your life is always held in the name of Jesus for those that believe in him. So what are just some implications for us as a people or as a church this morning on June the 6th, 2021, Salem? In the name of Jesus, we must be people of deep humility. John Stott, a famous pastor from London uh, who's long past, he said, I make so bold as to claim that the supreme quality with which the evangelical faith engenders is humility. Because we have nothing to offer the world except for Jesus. Silver or gold we do not have, but what we do have we give to you. Faith in the name of Jesus. That makes us a humble people because we're dependent wholly on his great name. We are people of confidence, knowing that his name brings about what we never could bring about. It's not our programs, not our wit, not our history, but it's his name which is the banner. The banner in the back of the of the building this morning that I'm looking right at says all for Jesus. And may that be our definition. His name brings joy and hope to the nations. May we be people that look like Jesus, who reflect him by being selflessly extending, lovingly sacrificing, purposefully living, hopefully preaching and compassionately serving. 
reflecting his great name in our world. In his name, more than eternity will come. Let me close with this story, which will maybe tie it in a little bit for you. I read a really sad story in Austria a couple of weeks ago that a, a man went in to have leg surgery because he had a huge problem on his leg and he needed to have his leg amputated. And he went in for the surgery that day and the person who was uh, preparing him for surgery marked the wrong leg and they amputated the opposite leg of this poor man, 82 years old. And so can you imagine the grief and the trauma that his family's feeling, he's feeling, just a really sad article. And if the church tries to do anything outside of the name of Jesus, we're really no better off than that hospital that chopped off the wrong leg, that ampu- trying to do a good thing, but you, you did it in a way that had no helpfulness. Because the church outside of Jesus' name really has no purpose of existing. There's plenty of good welfare agencies, plenty of good compassionate services that can do that work. The reason the church exists is in the name of Jesus to bring hope for the nations. To bring people to faith in his name. Silver or gold we do not have, but what we do have we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. John Stott again. I know of no better motto for any person who's in a full-time Christian service or or a layperson than this. To lay it to heart to give glory to God's name. Because we have no purpose in glorying in our own silly little name, but to the glory of the name of God alone. Let me pray for us and we'll sing the song before going to the Lord's table together. Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus because it alone is our hope and our purpose as a, as a church. The earliest disciples and the apostles, John and Peter and the others, show us that we have nothing to offer except the name of Jesus. But that is not just enough, that is more than enough. That brings so much more than anything could ever bring. May we rest deeply in that confidence that the name of Jesus brings hope and brings healing and brings joy that all of us need and all of us are longing for. So make us a people that are humbly, confidently, hopefully relying fully on your name because you are the reason we exist, the reason we live. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.